Welcome to the fall season of Theology on Tap. This is week two in our series, Made for More. Um, and tonight we have Father Greg Connerman speaking to us on active waiting. He works at St. Anthony Parish and at Holy Angels Parish. He's been at St. Anthony. This is his fourth year and his fifth year at Holy Angels. It is also his 25th year in the priesthood. He said he looks older than he is. So um, he's going to go ahead and open us in prayer. Okay, so let's bow our heads and quiet ourselves for a moment. Know that even here, right now, we are in the Lord's presence. And so I ask you to join me in praying together the Magnificat at this evening time. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And now join with me in some prayers of intercession. Let us pray for the church that all Christians will live in the radiance of God's love each day. We pray to the Lord. And for the church, that each Christian person will reflect to others the power of God's love. We pray to the Lord. And for the church, that we may grow in holiness through faithfully working God's plan for our lives. We pray to the Lord. And for the church, that striving in this earthly journey, we will one day be brought together before God, holy and without blemish, into that great communion of the saints. We pray to the Lord. And with these intentions and all that we have in our hearts this evening, let us pray the beautiful words which Jesus himself taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are you waiting for me? Oh, you are waiting for me. You're waiting for me to start. Oh, that's a good thing, because our topic tonight is waiting. Really, I'm glad that you're all here. It's wonderful that you're here, not because you have a great speaker tonight. My talk is going to be pretty simple. But it's great that you're here, because as young people, that you can come together and share your questions you have on the journey of faith and support one another and continue to grow in your faith. 
indeed, it's really wonderful that you're here and that you have these Theology on Tap gatherings. Waiting. Waiting is defined by the dictionary as to stay in place until something expected takes place. And so it's to be in a state of expectation, a state of anticipation. So you might think back in your earlier days, even as you were youngsters, about all the things you waited for. And usually, often, that waiting was, I think, probably pretty exciting. So you waited for your birthday. You know, little kids love their birthdays. You waited for your birthday. You waited for Christmas. You waited to ride your bike for the first time. Yeah. You waited to be able to go to school like your big brothers and sisters. You got into school, and then you waited for summer vacation. <laughs> or you waited for the next grade. You waited to graduate. All the waiting you've done already in your life. Huh? And so often, as young people, for the most part, that waiting is kind of filled with excitement. Huh? It's anticipating growing up, getting bigger, having more opportunities, more experiences. Huh? But now you're at the point in your life as young adults where you're waiting for other things. So you might stop for a moment and just think of the things you're waiting for now at this point in your life, in your 20s, in your 30s. So many of you may be waiting for finding the right person to date. Many of you might be waiting for Mr. Wright, Miss Wright, waiting for your soulmate, waiting to get married, waiting to have a family, waiting to have your next child, waiting to get a house. Maybe you're waiting, some of you, to get settled in the right career, a job that will bring you fulfillment and satisfaction. Maybe you're waiting for the next promotion. Maybe you're waiting for the next pay raise so you can buy the house. But all the things that you're waiting for now at this point in your life journey. And hopefully as you wait, there is excitement. But I too think that sometimes, my experience of you young people, is that many times you're waiting and there's an undue amount of anxiety that you don't quite have the exhilaration, the excitement of children anymore. That's what happens to us when we get older. So that some of the waiting as adults, especially at this point in your journey, might fill you with some anxiety or worry, or for some people, even dread. I'm not sure where I'm going. I'm not even sure what I'm waiting for. But consider that waiting is a part of the journey at every stage. And so, maybe this is the bad news coming from an old person, life, you could say, is a series of waitings, one period of waiting following another. So the waiting won't end, <laughs> okay? So the challenge is, how do we wait? 
If we're always waiting for something, if we're always waiting for someone, if we're always waiting for some new experience, some greater fulfillment, some greater happiness, how do we do that? Because it's crucial. It's, it's who we are as people, huh? Waiting because we live in time. So Rome is moving from today into the future. How do we do that and not lose our balance? How do we do that and not get distracted and pulled off track? How do we do that as Christians? How do we do that with a certain peace and not getting all anxious and worried and upset? Consider this. All waiting, ultimately, is about waiting for God. Because when you're waiting, when you're expecting something, when you're anticipating something, when you're yearning for greater happiness, fulfillment, for love, you're ultimately searching, waiting, hoping for the ultimate of all of that, and that is God. So I just suggest to you tonight, whatever waiting you're doing, whatever phase in your life, to put it in that context, because that then makes all the difference. All your expectations, all your yearnings, all your desires, they will never be fulfilled except in that ultimate relationship with God. Psalm 27, be stout-hearted and wait for the Lord. Or another translation, be courageous and wait for the Lord. But we're always waiting for the Lord. Great St. Augustine, of course, a quote that's familiar to so many. Our hearts are restless, Lord, until they rest in you. So that yearning, that searching, that waiting, it all points to God. And we wait then with the awareness that we will never be totally at peace until we are in full union with God in the kingdom of heaven. So, we have to wait in that context. And all people of faith, I would say, do that. They know that this earthly time is a journey as we move from one day to the next. And we try to do it without undue anxiety. And yes, preparing for the next day, but doing it in a peaceful way. All of that is leading to God. The wondrous news for us Christians is the waiting, to some degree, is over. I'm right, aren't I not? Am I not? The waiting is to some degree over because God has entered into time. That is the astounding miracle of the incarnation. The Son of God entered time. And so indeed, that's the Christian proclamation. As we go from one day to the next, as we wait for the future, 
as we yearn for greater happiness, for greater fulfillment, for more love. We're doing it with God as our companion. If we are joined with Jesus Christ, he is with us, leading us from one day to the next. Now, as I said, this is partly true and partly a mystery because we proclaim as Christians that God is here and now. So he's in time. He's right here at the Oregon Express with us. Amazing as that is. He's here. But our full encounter with him must wait until after death. Indeed, must wait until the end of time. But he's here now. And he then leads us toward that full encounter when time will be no more. When we will move from time into timelessness, which is eternity. Now, we're into great mystery here, right? And sometimes we don't stop to ponder that sufficiently when we say God is eternal. Well, yeah, that, well, you know, he's above us and he's beyond us and he's great. But in our frail human minds, we cannot compute the concept of eternity because we have only existed in time. But it's with faith in God and an experience of Jesus here and now that we have the hope to move through time, waiting from one day to the next, eventually to move then beyond time into eternity. Your theme of these talks, kind of pulling some of these talks together, I'm told, is, is that it's about sainthood. As baptized Christians, as serious Christians, as committed Christians, but indeed, albeit all of us as sinful Christians, we are saints with a small s. But we're striving to be saints, if you will, with a capital S. That takes a movement through time. That takes waiting for the Lord but also waiting with the Lord. It's all a little bit philosophical because it's all very mysterious. But the question, how do we wait? As Christians, we wait for the full encounter with God. So we're waiting for him, but we're waiting with him because he is here. And again, you know, we say this and we pray about it. We proclaim it. But it's so mysterious. It's so amazing to ponder this more deeply in our prayer. God is truly here with you at every moment of your day. And I don't know about you, but when I get pulled off track, when I fail to live like I should, and when I fall into sin, it's often because I've simply forgotten that most fundamental belief that I profess. He's not just out there. He's right here. 
How do we then, as Christians, wait? How do we live each day in the present while we are moving toward the future? Is Jesus lead you into your future? Consider that this is the God who knew you before he formed you. No doubt you know that wonderful passage from Jeremiah. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. That means out of love from all eternity, he intended you, 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 to be this unique person. And from all eternity, he has had a plan for your life. And from all eternity, he had this plan that you would be here at Oregon Express on this Thursday night in September in 2017, trying to understand what some old priest was telling you. When you ponder that and accept that, it greatly diminishes your anxiety. Because I may not know as a young person where my life is going in terms of personal relationships or marriage or family or maybe a vocation to religious life or the priesthood. I may not know where my life is going in terms of my job, my career, my education. But God knows. He has the plan. So that should give you great comfort comes down then to trusting in him and his plan. To trusting that he intended your life from all eternity for this time and place and that he came, Jesus, to be your companion on the journey. So then you wait, but not with anxiety. You wait with more excitement because you place your trust in God's plan and because you experience his presence. To ponder that God has a plan for your life, that Jesus, here and now, each day at every moment, is your companion as you move from the present into the future. The challenge then, I think, is to more deeply experience his presence in the present. Now, that's much easier said than done because, and I think this is true, especially for you younger people, there are so, so, so many distractions and there is so, so, so much noise in your world. Okay, it's true for all of us, but because I'm one of these old people that doesn't even know how to use my iPhone, it's less distracting. The people who are on it constantly, like my nieces and nephews, it's more distracting. Huh? They'd rather be on the iPhone than looking at Uncle Greg's handsome face while we're having lunch. Okay? 
But you know, it's your world. And with all the blessings of technology and all that's going on in the world, many wonderful benefits. But there's also a lot that we have to be careful about, huh? Because so many distractions, so much noise, how is it that then each day you can more deeply experience God's presence? Some ideas, some thoughts, some suggestions. The first one is slow down. Now when I say that, I admit, and I hope you know this about most priests or deacons when they give homilies or talks, they're speaking to themselves much of the time, huh? So I'm one who needs to slow down, okay? But most of us need to slow down. You know? Mother Teresa, other major figures from the 20th century and 21st century have said the crisis of vocations in the Western church. It's not because God is not calling people to the priesthood or to marriage, whatever the proper vocation is. The crisis of vocations, not enough priests, not enough religious, and sadly, so tragically, continuing breakdown of marriages and family life. It's so much due to the fact that young people just aren't listening. To receive the call to ponder God's plan for you and then have the courage and the grace to pursue it, you first have to listen. And I don't say this in a mean way. It's really, I think, just a deficit that I suggest many of you have experienced growing up, but it's all you've known, okay? Families these days are so busy it just boggles my mind. I grew up, I was blessed to grow up in a very wonderful family. I was the second oldest of six children. I thought we were busy. But I played one sport a year. My brother played one sport a year. My sister didn't play sports because we're so old in those days the girls' schools didn't have any sports, <laughs> which was unfortunate. But she would have played because she loves athletics. She had singing, a choral group. She had that activity. We had one or two things we did outside of the home. And at home, yeah, we watched a couple TV shows in the evening. But there was time where we didn't do anything. There was no agenda. You just kind of hung out and came, did whatever came to your mind. Children these days don't do that, and perhaps that was the re reality for many of you. Constantly going from one activity to the other. So they've got homework, and they've got soccer, and then they've got select soccer, and then it overlaps with the next sports season, so they start that sport, and then they're in gymnastics, and then they're in choir, and then they're in the band. I mean, it blows my mind. And the parents are constantly taking them here, there, and everywhere. And the parents tell you, Maybe you heard this from your parents. They're exhausted just from driving people around. Now, I suggest to you this happens not because your parents are not good people, not because parents these days don't love their children, but they just get swept into the hyperactivity of our culture. And the world has changed so much. And again, it's your world, so you don't realize how much has changed. 
You hear about it from grandparents, perhaps. But the fact that you grow up, and from the time you're quite little, and I see this now in, you know, I was doing a baptism a few weeks ago. Adorable little boy. His sibling, who was not yet two, was being entertained, which was a fun, maybe it was an appropriate choice at the time. I'm not judging the parents. But the little sibling, who's not quite two, is being entertained during the baptism by watching his iPad with this cartoon thing on it. So I go over to him after that. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? He's showing me because he knows how to do all this stuff. I'm like, I don't know how to do it. But all that stimulation from the time children are toddlers and then they get into grade school and we say, the pastor says, the old pastor, let's just have a moment of silence. And after 10 seconds, they're jumping out of their pews and they're climbing the walls and they're talking to each other because they're freaking out because they haven't experienced it. We started a project at Holy Angels School and we're also going to be starting at St. Anthony's School to quiet the children and simply have them experience some silence and then have them move into some Christian meditation. And you think, well, not a big deal, but it is a big deal because this is alien. We have to come in from recess and sit and do nothing and just be quiet for 90 seconds? What do we do, Father Greg? Why, why are you punishing us? Okay. <laughs> anyway, the point is, I believe that young people today, and I'm su suspecting your generation, has had so much busyness that it's hard to slow down. And unless we slow down, we can't really be listening to the Lord. We can't really, in prayer and meditation, experience his presence today. So to think about that, being less busy. And it's hard, I know, because again, and I say this to the parents, it's not like you're choosing bad things for your kids. It's that you have so many things coming at you, so many options, so many invitations, that simply in my day and age, and we're talking old back in the 50s and 60s growing up, there just weren't that many things coming at us, so it was easier. Much harder these days. Huh? And my siblings who have children remind me of this. Well, that's easy for you to say, but it's hard to say no when your son or daughter wants to do this activity with their friends, and it's, it's a good activity. It's hard to do. All right, so to slow down, a bit less activity. And you might think about that in your own lives, maybe later this evening or in some prayer tonight or tomorrow. Could I slow down a bit just this weekend or next week? A few activities take them out of my planner. Related to that, what I just alluded to, is the time for silence and some meditation. Again, back to St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, one of my favorite quotes of hers. Again, I bet you're familiar with it. The fruit of silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of faith is love. The fruit of love is service. 
The fruit of service is peace. But for her and her sisters and all those in her community still today, it begins with some silence. So to consider that. And in your prayer, and that's such a challenge, I know, again, with the busyness and the noise, in your prayer to consider having some quiet to begin the prayer. It may seem like a small thing, but again, I think it's helpful. Again, if you're like me, many people, we just, okay, we're going to pray. And the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, and we pray. Well, okay. But to quiet ourselves first and just ponder, have some silence, experience his presence, and then after some quiet listening, to put some words out there. Huh? So Christian meditation, I would encourage you to maybe check that out. It's very simple. If you've done relaxation techniques, you know, you slow your breathing. You try to empty your mind of all the distractions. And then for Christian meditation, as you're slowing your breathing, as your heart rate slows, and you're more relaxed physically, and you're trying to rid your mind of the distractions, then you simply take a phrase, a prayer phrase, and repeat it as a mantra. So you repeat for maybe five minutes as you're doing deep breathing in and out, calming yourself physically, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. It's very simple. It's very beautiful. Calms you. And it gives you that presence of the Lord. So, to slow down, to take more time for some silence, and perhaps that kind of a Christian meditation. Third thing in your prayer, strongly suggest, is Lexio Divina. And again, probably many of you are familiar with that. But from the early centuries of the church, just a simple but important manner of reading sacred scripture. So it's a prayerful reading of sacred scripture. We talk about the importance of scripture in our lives. It's so true. But I find so many people tell me they get bogged down, they get overwhelmed, they get confused. Uh, we're all, you know, rational. We're trying to figure it out. And what does that mean? And what does this mean? Okay. And then they kind of it's not very prayerful. It's more like an academic exercise, huh? And part of that is important. I mean, we do that in the church, okay? The church very much values that, huh? To have a, a valued uh, intellectual understanding of Scripture is important. But Lexio Divina is simply taking the Scripture and not overdoing it. So reading a short passage until a word or a concept or an image particularly touches your heart. And then you name that. And then you just kind of sit there with it in some silence. And then the usual technique is to go back and read it again. And then quietly ask yourself, Lord, what are you saying to me with that word or that phrase or that image from your life 
or the life of someone from sacred scripture. So that's Lexio Divina, and, and I suspect many of you are familiar with it. If you're not, again, get on uh, all your devices and Google it and get more information about it at various Catholic websites. Huh? But it's powerful because the reason it's so powerful is this. You have a very personal connection with the Lord, okay? And so, yes, the God of all creation who intended me to be before I was formed in my mother's womb, who has a plan for my life, just spoke to me today here in Dayton, Ohio. Good heavens, Lord, how wonderful. What are you telling me? Now, oftentimes, that's not going to be clear as a bell. Oh, that's what you're telling me. That's what I better do today. No, it's more vague than that. It's more subtle. But to take that thought, Lord, what are you telling me? And if that's what you're telling me, I have some ideas. How am I going to respond to you today? And then you carry that image, that thought, that word through the day. So perhaps at lunchtime, if you have a minute, it comes back to you. You say, oh yeah, that's, I was thinking about that this morning. Now what? Later in the day, at the end of your work day. Oh yeah, well, I think that kind of tied in with exactly what happened today. Gee, that's kind of amazing. Well, gee, I'm still not sure what to make of that. So we'll see. But it's a very personal exchange between you and the Lord, huh? God is speaking to me in these words today. To ponder that mystery, to experience that mystery, to stay with that in a day, you experience the Lord's presence. So slowing down a bit, maybe taking a few activities off the calendar, having more time for some silence, being still, listening, some meditation. Lexio Divina. And then fourthly, which is no surprise, the encounter of the sacraments. When you enter into the sacraments, if it's Eucharist, if it's sacrament of penance and reconciliation, you are encountering the living God in a disguised, hidden, but most amazingly powerful way. Now again, we know this, but we have to remind ourselves of this, huh? It is essentially an encounter. And sometimes we have it in our mind, and this is just our weak human condition, well, I'm going to Mass to get something. I'm going to Mass to get peace. I'm going to Mass to get my prayers answered. I'm going to Mass, indeed, to get Jesus who comes to me in communion. I'm going to Mass to get sacred scripture, the wisdom. Yeah, all of that's true. But all of that comes to you in this mysterious but true intimate engagement encounter. This is why to listen to scripture during the Mass 
and hopefully make some sense of what the past, the pastor, the priest, the deacon is saying in a homily, and sometimes it doesn't work. But then to later ponder, what were you saying to me, Lord? And I encourage people in that. I say, seriously, if my homily didn't make sense, figure it out. <laughs> okay? Because this is the Holy Spirit. And if it touched you, we thank the Holy Spirit. If it didn't, well, we can blame Father Greg. But meanwhile, you might have some work to do and spend a little more time with it. Because the Holy Spirit's the one doing the work in you. But it's an encounter. Huh? And that's why the importance of coming to Holy Communion with such reverence. And again, sadly, we've lost this so much in our churches. You know, again, I'm, I, I wouldn't be too critical of people, but because they don't, so many just don't know any better. But they come up to Holy Communion dressed like they're going to the beach, and they come up to Holy Communion like they're getting a potato chip. And I don't know what we need to do more, priests, to say, folks, stop and think of what is here. And stop and ponder what you are saying amen to. It is the living God here coming into you. And again, we all fail at this, I'm sure. I certainly do. Because it is so amazing, it is so mysterious but to take more time to ponder that and then realize a sacrament is essentially an encounter. The sacrament of, of uh, penance and reconciliation, so powerful. And again, sadly, sometimes people get so anxious about it. Oh my gosh, what am I going to say? And I didn't say it the right way. And I did this three times and I did this ten times and I forgot how many. Like, relax. You know, you're coming simply to receive the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And yes, we have a formula for doing it, but it's of little importance. What's happening is you had the humility to recognize you need God's mercy, and you had the humility to say your sins out loud to someone standing in the place of Christ, and then you just receive and then you're filled with joy and amazement and wonder and gratitude. And it's so renewing. You've encountered Jesus Christ. That's why, sadly, you know, just so many people don't come for that sacrament like they used to. huh? And we can go into all that and how that happened in the church, you know. We went from one extreme to the other. So when I was a little boy, you went to confession almost once a week. Well, that was a bit much, you know. Sometimes I had to invent things to say because I really didn't know what I did bad. <laughs> Although nowadays when kids say, I don't think I did anything bad, and I say, well, think about it again. <laughs> or go ask your mother and come back tomorrow. <laughs> but anyway, but seriously, that, that was too extreme, huh? And then we went from such an extreme legalistic approach to sin and then it went to the other extreme, and so, you know, people don't have a healthy concept of sin, and then people have just gotten away from it so often that people don't use the sacrament. But it's such a wonderful, again, encounter with the living God. One of my blessings is that I go to Kettering Hospital on Friday evenings and do anointings of the sick. And some of you maybe have never even seen that sacrament because you haven't been around a family member or a close friend who's seriously ill and has had that sacrament. So it's a 
Beautiful sacrament. It's short but lovely prayers. But again, it's so powerful when people especially, you know, are seriously ill, you know. Uh, they're struggling to hang on. They're, they're struggling to experience, Jesus, you're with me. I don't understand this suffering. I can't bear it anymore. I mean, people suffering, some of these medical cases, and some of you know this, some family members, it's just overwhelming. And I, I see them and I think, I would probably last about 30 seconds. You know, I'd be screaming and cussing and jumping out of my bed and running out of the hospital. I mean, the courage it takes to carry the cross of serious, severe suffering, which is so mysterious. But when they receive this anointing and they hear these words of Jesus spoken by the priest, again, it, it is mysterious, but it, it, it's, it's effable. There's something there. God is there, and there's a peace. And when they look at me and say, thank you for coming here today, and I realize I'm just blessed to be able to be that minister. But it's an encounter with Christ at a time of hurt, a time of suffering, and it is powerful. So all the sacraments are encounters, okay? So I'm going through my list here. Slowing down being a bit more quiet, trying to read scripture in that prayerful way. Jesus is speaking to me here and now. Lexio Divina. Sacramental encounters. And then, lastly, interpersonal encounters. Okay? When you encounter another person, Christ is there. And again, we say that, and then I forget it. So I used harsh words with someone today in my office. Had to go back and apologize. She was very gracious and accepted my apology. Don't worry about it. I said, I do worry about it. I shouldn't have spoken to you in that tone of voice. Too quickly, we lose the fact that Christ is there in that other person. Again, hidden, disguised. Who am I speaking to? Yes, I'm speaking to Bridget on my office staff, but I'm also speaking to Jesus Christ. So those interpersonal encounters, again, and at the end of the day, and some prayer to ponder that. What were those most significant encounters of this day? With my spouse, with my girlfriend, with my boyfriend, with my roommate, with my coworkers? Where were the blessings? Christ was there. God is here. And all of that to help give you that trust and that confidence to realize I'm living today and the living God, Jesus Christ, will take me to tomorrow. And so I wait with hope. I wait with joy. I wait in peace and without undue anxiety. One of the people that speaks to me in this area in terms of living in the present and really appreciating the moment and appreciating God's presence and living day by day and not worrying about the future so much is Francis de Sales. And so a Salesian uh, spirituality, and I have a book that I'm going to recommend that you might want to get and share with you some thoughts from that uh, when we come back after a little break. Okay? All right.
and was uh, leading the charge, if you will, against the Calvinist uh, schism from the Catholic Church. Uh, great scholar, great holy man, uh, Francis de Sales. Um, the Salesians are a religious order, still in the church today. Um, and he founded with his dear friend a religious order of sisters, the Visitation Sisters. Huh? So his most famous work is Introduction to the Devout Life. And that was so groundbreaking because he emphasized how everybody's called to sainthood. Back in that era, there was an overemphasis on the clergy and religious and an underemphasis on lay people and family life. And he was very strong in saying, no, everyone's called to holiness. Huh? So Introduction to the Devout Life is really his classic, if you'd ever want to check into that. But another book, which I think is excellent, and it's a shorter book, and he wrote this. It's called The Spiritual Directory. Okay, And then this book I have, which you might want to check out, is a synopsis of his book. So his book, Spiritual Directory, which very much has to do with living in the present, huh? it's uh, presented in this book called Live Today Well, okay? St. Francis de Sales' Simple Approach to Holiness, okay? So I might recommend it. Again, you can get on Amazon and Google it, but I think it's a wonderful book, easy to read, huh? I just want to share a few quotes that were pertinent to what I was trying to say, all right? So he says this. Let us be firmly resolved to serve God today with our whole heart and life. Beyond that, let us have no care about tomorrow. Let us think of living today well, and when tomorrow comes, it also will be today. And then we can think about it. Okay? True. All right? Then he goes on, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't head in the direction of the future, that we shouldn't head in the direction of perfection, but we mustn't try to get there in a day, that is a mortal day, for such desires upset us and have no purpose. So he's talking about what I was trying to say about that anxiety, huh? being impatient. Rather, he says, we must simply apply ourselves to doing well on the stretch of road immediately before us and not waste time wanting to do the next lap on the way while we still have to make it through this lap. Again, concentrate on the present with that trust that God will take you to tomorrow. Just a couple more. He stresses the importance of beginning each day, okay? And he has a wonderful analogy, which I'd never thought of. He says, getting out of bed is an experience of the resurrection. So he says, how you get out of bed in the morning, how you begin your day can make all the difference. And if you can begin that day with a short prayer of thanksgiving, it sets the tone for the day, huh? Seeing each day, then, he says, as a mini-resurrection. So just a few of those thoughts. But again, I would recommend the book. Uh, you might want to check it out. It's easy to read and uh, helps us, I think, to 
center ourselves on the present. Francis de Sales, again, one of the great classics, spiritual directors in the church. Okay, some questions. How do we balance waiting on God's plan for the next step in our life and actively seeking his will? Okay, well, that's a great question. My thought would be when we're praying for God's will to be done, and I'm praying to know God's will, primarily that should be for today. So even in the Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Give me today, Lord, what I need. Help me to know today, Lord, your will in this circumstance, in this situation, with these people. And again, living today God's will and then prayerfully discerning how I did at the end of the day leads me into the next day. Does that make sense? Whose question was that? Is that any other? (laughs) I mean, that's... In other words, to me, doing God's will is here and now. Okay, I can, I can pray that I hope I do God's will in the future, but more importantly, if I do God's will here and now, I experience his presence, I receive the grace of the Spirit, then his plan is unfolding. As a non-Catholic, how could I participate in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation? Well, the truth is that you cannot... Okay, that the church says that to receive the sacraments, you should be in full communion with the church. But a baptized Christian would certainly be welcome to go into the priest at the time of confession and say, and I do this with the little kids at both my parishes, I'm not Catholic. I'd just like to share a bit with you. And, you know, many psychologists have talked about for years the therapeutic psychological effect of confession, huh? And so you would benefit from just trusting and sharing your life with this other person. And again, it would be confidential. It doesn't have the same quite strength of the seal of confession, but any priest would keep that confidential as he would any pastoral counseling conversation, huh? So it would help you to share with another person Hopefully the Holy Spirit's working through that priest to give you some insights. And when you're saying, well, I've really kind of gone off track here, I've messed up here. So you could benefit from that encounter with the Lord through a meeting with the priest. But it would not be the sacramental encounter of that gift of complete mercy that comes with absolution. Okay? But again, I don't know if who wants to say who asked that question or if... You wouldn't want to identify yourself, but I think if you went in, I can't think of a priest this day and age, maybe in the past they wouldn't have, but this day and age, if you went in and said, we're not Catholic, but I just wanted to have a little time to talk and get some spiritual guidance and get some things off my chest, and I trust the Holy Spirit is going to give me some healing and some new life from this conversation. I think that'd be wonderful. And again, we do that with the school kids uh, because we have a large number of non-Catholics at both the schools that I'm at. What is my favorite way to bring Christ to others? Truly, without a doubt, it's it's celebrating the Eucharist. Again, that's so mysterious. But to pray that prayer as the priest 
it, it's overwhelming. That's the only word I can think of. And with that belief and experience, again, it's hard to put into words that Jesus is here and I am so humbled that I can be the instrument of his coming and then in Holy Communion to give Jesus to these folks. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. I don't know. Priests get together, we kind of try to put words to it, but it's hard to do. Other than that, I do like to preach. I do like to teach. I especially like to interact and teach the students at our schools. I love being with kids, and uh, they're open to new ideas. They're open. They have questions. They're not afraid to ask. Um, just their innocence um, and their receptivity. I just delight in that, really. So, share a story about it. Oh gosh, I don't know this. Is anything of much impact, but I, I, I sometimes think back on my first mass, and when you're a priest, and I was with some seminarians at, down at Mount St. Mary's last week, I, they asked me to come in and give a lecture on homiletics, how to give a homily. And so um, I was with these deacons who are guys who are going to be ordained this coming May, and they're nervous, okay? And they will have practice masses, so they have a whole room set up like a church, and they have camera, and they film them, and then they critique them, and you didn't do this right, and you got to move this way. And do, I mean, so they're nervous. Anybody would be, huh? Because you want to do this well. And, of course, they're very nervous about giving homilies, huh? Um, so almost 25 years ago, um, I was nervous. <laughs> and even though I was older, because I was ordained late, I wasn't ordained until I was 42. I had a career for 12 years Prior to that, in mental health, I was a clinical social worker. So here I am at 42, and you're thinking, I'm supposed to be mature. What the hell am I so nervous about? But I'm like a nervous wreck. I'm so nervous. Well, it's a, a powerful day. You've just been ordained. All your family and friends are there. You put all this time and energy into planning it. And I'm nervous. Truly, by the grace of God, and it was solely grace of God, and I'm sure all the people praying for me, I mean, it was a memory that, I hope I never forget. Uh, beautiful church in Cincinnati. Sadly, it's now closed. Um, beautiful church, packed with my friends and family. Had a magnificent choir from the, from the seminary that was doing the music. It was a gorgeous, sunny day. The procession is lined up in front of church, and the bells are chiming. And I felt absolutely at peace, probably in a way I have never experienced in my life. It was just magnificent. And, and the mass was magnificent celebration. It just touched me to the core. And uh, people afterward were saying, my gosh, you seem so relaxed. I was like, I was totally relaxed. I was totally at peace. And it was just an amazing experience. So anyway, I don't know why that memory came back. But How do we understand God's plan with the how did that fit God's plan? I think that's what you're saying. With the plan, with the idea of free will, okay. So God has a plan for each of us, right? But we all still have free will, okay. Now that is a really deep theological question, and I'm sorry, I'm out of time. 
But no. <laughs> Seriously. Now, we believe that God has an intended plan for you. Okay? Again, he thought you into being before you were even created. Okay? That's how much he loves you. That's how much he knows you. That's how he wants you to be a part of his grand creation. Okay? So he has a plan. But by free will, can we violate that plan? Yes. Okay? And I could violate that plan in a serious way by doing terribly sinful things. I could violate that plan in a way that would be arguably sinful if I simply, not simply, but if I err by not really hearing and accepting and living the vocation he intended, okay? So in other words, uh, and again, I, I'm thinking this question was given once to a brilliant theologian, and he said, the, per the question said, the questioner was, you know, if I didn't follow God's vocation for me, so I, he intended me to be a priest, and I didn't do it, <laughs> okay? Is that a sin, okay? And the response was, not unless you intentionally rejected it, which would be rare, huh? because usually going into a vocation is just more subtle than that, and it involves a series of choices, and then you have to say, well, gee, maybe I was intended to be a priest, but here I am, I'm married, and I got three kids. <laughs> well, now this is the Lord's plan. <laughs> In other words, I have to be true to what I'm living now, and I have to be true to the sacrament I've entered into, and then again, you trust in God's understanding and in his mercy. But, so God has a plan, but we can swerve away from that plan because we're not prayerfully discerning it. Or in a serious way, we could say, I go away from that plan every time I sin. Okay. All right. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for your attention. Uh, again, I think it's truly wonderful that you're doing this. To see young people like yourselves who are serious about your faith, even whatever questions you have, what struggles you might be having, that you are serious enough about it to come listen to a talk, share it with friends, have more discussion. It's wonderful. You know you are, sadly, in the minority, okay? The numbers of young Catholics still coming to church is plummeting, and it is tragic for the future of the church. But again, you're here, and that's a blessing. <laughs> and stay the course. Uh, as I say to some of my students who I talk to from you do come to me, don't be afraid of the questions. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. Don't be afraid to share with each other. The problem enters when people say, I'm not gonna give it any time. It's too confusing. It's too mysterious. The hell with it. And then they just move away, okay? then sadly, rarely do they come back. So don't be afraid of the questions. Realize that you're imperfect like every one of us, including your priests, but that the Lord loves you. He has a plan for your life. He's with you today. And so strive to appreciate that more deeply and be less anxious about tomorrow because God will lead you into tomorrow and after all those tomorrows, 
He will lead you to eternal glory. God bless you.